Hello, I'm Kendra. I'm. I was gonna say Katrina, but I'm not. A, I do You're this not each Katrina. time. I'm Azreen. I'm Katrina. That's like the third time that's happened. I know. I don't know why. I think like when we say we the need intro, to, do we need to legally change your name? No, no, no. No, I feel like uh, like in the past the order has always been. I'm Kendra, I'm Katrina, and I'm Azreen. So now, for some reason, my brain automatically corrects to that, so even if I'm Azreen, I just still follow that order for some reason. Well, whatever, we're not the only people here today, so. We have a special guest. Special guest. Yes, hello, uh, my name is Kira. Um, I am a friend of Azreen's, um, and she very kindly invited me on the podcast. Um, I uh, enticed her with mentions of um, 1820s true crime, and that was enough to uh, to get me a coveted slot as a as a guest. No, so no, I'm I, looking forward to it. It is our honor to have you. Thank here. you very thank much. You yeah, very thank you very much for thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And we are excited for these 18 <laughs> 1820s shenanigans. 20s yes. shenanigans and yes. mysteries. It's a very is it just the year, or is it, like, what's your time frame? Like, are you saying, like, 1820s in general? Is it, like, a month-long period that you specialize in? Yeah, so, It's um, a month-long period. It is not a month-long <laughs> period, no. It is, um, but the I do... 1820 is the, the, 1820, the month of November. Uh, no, no, not, good guess, but no. Uh, my, my period is very specific, um, so my background is, um, I have a master's in literature and society, um, and I am currently applying for a PhD in medical history. Um, so, my era of interest is actually 1741 to 1832, which is a very specific set of years, and I could go into why, um, but, uh, but all the really fun stuff happens in the 1820s, is so this that's... The guy with- is that the time period where we have the guy that's like the fastest knife on the east end? The fastest knife on the west end, yes, Robert Liston. He Yay! he is a, a specific interest of mine, um, and he's he's a very interesting character. Um, uh-huh. Going going beyond the whole uh, the story that everyone knows him for is um, the, the one where he killed three hundred people with one surgery. That story. <laughs> I, I will defend his honor. I will defend his yeah, honor and say that that is a very apocryphal story. We don't have very good documentation of that. Um, but it is what everyone knows him for. Um, but um, a- again, to defend his honor, his uh, his mortality rates were actually quite low for the period. Um, because <laughs> I... Everybody in that time period Listen, like, hey, you, know, you know this doctor who has like 300% mortality rate for... His, his general mortality He's... rate is a bit low. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but yes, uh, I mean, this, this is the period before, um, anesthetics, it's the period before antiseptics, you know, they were doing the best with what they had. So, um, but, but yes, good, good, uh, good name drop from that era. Very good. Robert Liston. Um, I'm sure he was from that era. Yes, yes, he was. Um, yeah, he was. He was operating in Edinburgh in the eighteen twenties, um, and uh, and actually, he was the first surgeon to use anesthetic in England mm-hmm. in eighteen forty seven. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. So you're telling me he's a bad serial killer? Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> this this is not the guy that we're going to talk about today. Oh, this okay, is okay, just okay. this is just a, a an interesting figure from the period. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, but no, the 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 ones we're going to talk about today were actually um, pretty prolific serial killers, um, <laughs> unfortunately for their victims. Um, so, so I was a little hesitant to talk about this, um, just because I feel like it is a case that other people have covered a lot, 
Um, but since it's it's my you know kind of uh, you know pushes glasses up, it's my appearance of research. <laughs> um, or, you know, I'm quite the academic. Um, I am so sorry that the cat has decided right next to you. It's all right. It's all right. I have a cat. I'm used to it. Um, but yeah, but I, I think it is a really um, uh, interesting story, and um, it's been told so many times throughout the era, that, or throughout the um, uh, you know years since uh, that there there have been a lot of mix-ups. Um, so yes, so what I'm going to can we, talk. Can we take bets? Are you oh, oh are you going to take bets? Uh, what are, what oh, are the bets? You, on who you're going to talk about? Mm. Oh, do you know? Do you already know? Probably not, but like, okay. but like what is, that's kind of why I'm interested. I don't know, so I'm not going to bet. There were like five male names back then, so if you guess like <gasps> George or John, it's Jack probably, the Ripper. It's not Jack the Ripper. Damn it. No, he's, he's a little Thompson? too late. No. Okay. Isaac. Isaac, no, no. Um, Sam. Sam, no, good so, guess. John. Mark. That was one of his aliases, so I will, I will give I you partial credit. I don't know anybody... With the name John from Okay, alright, I'll, I'll, I'll um, uh, end the suspense. Uh, we, I'm going to talk about the anatomy murders. Ooh! <gasps> Who, yes. Um, so, for those listening, if you have heard uh, the names William Burke or William <gasps> Hare, yes! have no. you heard of these guys? Okay. Yes! Alright, so we've got two out of three. Two people know, and, and I'm, I'm the third the, doesn't. Okay. So you know, I'm the ignoramus. I have no history in true crime, so my role gotcha. is to be here and be confused. Okay, yes. gotcha. Well, <laughs> alright, let me let me spin my yarn then. Yes. Um, so I will um, I will try to keep the backstory brief, um, because uh, the history of dissection is, is my main focus, so I tend to ramble if uh, I'm not stopped. Um, but just to give a very brief overview... Um, Anatomy as um, a core tenet of uh, medical and surgical education in this period was was really at its peak. Um, so prior to this, um, you have what is um, very appropriately named the Murder Act of 1752. So the... Condone murder? It, it does not condone murder. It what? is meant to uh, be a, a dissuasion from murdering. And it didn't work. That was predictably. Murdering? There, there was a lot of murdering going on. Were they like, we're going to take away your mother-in-law if you... <laughs> no! <laughs> no, uh, that, so that might have been a better... Yeah, plan. I was going to um, say that some people might actually take that and be like, yes, please yeah, take Yeah, well, I, I think I'll go out and commit a little murder and, you know, uh, two birds, one stone. Uh, <laughs> no, so, so the Murder Act, um, what it did is it added um, dissection, public dissection as a sort of extra punishment. So not only are we going to hang you if we find out that you've murdered someone, we're going to give your body to the anatomists and they're going to cut you up. Oh, and that was, that was like a big taboo. Yes, yes. I have a question. Yes, and please. So like, knowing this time, there's a lot of bread circus is kind of going on sometimes with some weird stuff. Like yes. circuses. Also like the, the knife of the East End. Yes, and yes. like, did they make it a show to dissect? <laughs> Did they start like throwing in like dramatic flares? <laughs> they um th the dramatic flare was actually a lot more in surgery than in um, dissection, which is um yeah slightly troubling. Um, but in any case, um no so um so the reason that there was such um high demand 
for um, bodies for dissection in this era is because, um, so if we go back to 1741, this is when an up-and-comer named William Hunter comes, and, mm. and he's, he's a fancy man. He's studied on the continent. Oh. So he's, he's been to the schools the... in Paris, don't you know? So he comes in, a mover and shaker, and he says, I'm going to teach anatomy in the Parisian method. And in Paris, every student would actually get to personally dissect. And so you it get wasn't their own corpse. Yeah, exactly. You get your own little parts with a little name. Yeah, tag on you gotta put the name tag on it. You know, all, it's all very official. Um, but because <laughs> <laughs> you want your little cubby next to your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were not sophisticated enough to have cubbies. No, um, at least not refrigerated ones like we have nowadays. Um, but yes, um, so so he comes in and 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 he attracts all the students this way um, because everyone's like, oh my god, I actually get to like personally learn the bodies that I I'm gonna. I get my own corpse. I get my own corpse. This is amazing. And so, uh, you private anatomy stools. Uh, anatomy stools. <laughs> That's what the short surgeons use. Anatomy hoops. Uh, yes. Um, so anatomy schools, private anatomy schools, started opening up, um, and they would, if they wanted to compete and they wanted to get students, they would have to say, oh, no, come to my school, because I'll also let you do that. You'll also get your own corpse at my school. You, you get my school's better. corpses. Yeah, exactly. So, um... Two for one special. So, yes, as we Two corpses, and we'll even throw in another kidney. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sweeten the deal, sweeten the deal. Um, so... I have some cow hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it became this big thing. It's like, if you wanted to teach anatomy, you had to offer this method of teaching. And if you wanted to study anatomy, you wanted to go to these schools that would offer it. Um, so that, that there was this really huge demand in bodies that we previously hadn't really seen. Um, so uh, the Murder Act comes in, and it... It does do some good for the anatomists, um, and it does provide them with more bodies, um, but it also um, further stigmatizes dissection. So previously, um, they had been allowed to have six bodies per year. For the whole of London, you just get six bodies. Uh, so that was not meeting the demand. Um, so, so the Murder Act comes in, it does provide more um, bodies, but it attaches that stigma of this is the worst thing that can happen to your body. And as a reference, yeah. um, before this, they were doing um, uh, leaving bodies in gibbets. So these were basically cages mm. that were just hanging in the breeze and they would let the body rot there. And that was like the public spectacle. Gross. And so dissection That's was... That's really slow spectacle. It is a very <laughs> slow spectacle. Um... But with flash and bang of today. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but but um, my my point in bringing that up is just that this dissection was set as worse than that. So it's like you can rot in the breeze and birds can eat your eyeballs, but being used for medical science is worse than that. Um, so it's not a great culture. So interesting, given that nowadays I feel like. A lot of people like donating their body to science is seen it's, as an ad yeah it is it is and task. and yeah and I and I could talk more about that like we're we're eleven minutes in and I haven't even gotten uh, to the serial yeah, killers so I'm trying okay so I'll I'll try and um but so basically so you had this high demand for corpses and you had um an inadequate supply they were not getting what they needed um and the private anatomy schools weren't really getting anything it was it was the college of surgeons that would receive the um uh, you know the actual uh, legally granted bodies 
So you had people coming in, and initially it was the surgeons and students themselves who would go out, um, and, and they would find out when a burial was happening, and they would go out there with their shovels, and, and they would dig up the body and carry it away. Wait, so without the permission, yep, yes, grave robbing. So this it is like grave robbing, like direct grave robbing. These it are is direct students. grave robbing. These are medical students. Hmm. But in the grand tradition of uh, rich people getting other people to do their dirty work for them, hmm. uh, once it started getting a little dangerous, and it, uh, you know people were realizing, um, people are robbing grandma's bodies. <laughs> out of, out of the, uh, we're we're gonna try and put a stop to this. They would um, pay people, and these were usually the poorest in society, um, and they would pay them to go out and do this for them, to, mm-hmm. to dig up the bodies. Um, Can't even dig up their own body. I know, really lazy. They're just sitting there, you know, twiddling their thumbs. Um, and these people who went out to do this uh, had a very fun name. Uh, they were called the Resurrection Men. Oh, so yeah, yeah, it's a it's a that, pretty I mean, pretty sounds, badass name for like a terrible a, thing. Yeah, that sounds like a great name for a band. Like yeah, the, re- the yeah. Resurrection Men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the the cool title is the only workplace benefits you get. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so that is that is kind of the the long um, backstory to um, these uh, very fun serial killers. What is and there's a cat in the um bag. I don't know why we she's, get cats. She's interrupting my very fun story. Um, <laughs> so in any case, so so that is that is kind of what's going on. Now I've talked a bit about London, um, but Edinburgh was also one of the, the big centers of medical education of the period. It was like if you didn't go to London, you were going to go to Edinburgh. So um, this was a big center for medical study, and of course that means it was also a big center for illegal trade and bodies. Yes, exactly. Um, and and there's a lot of really interesting history in the way that they tried to thwart the grave robbers and the kind of relationship between surgeons and resurrection men and things like that. But I've read long enough about that let's let's get into the murders so um two main characters tonight william burke william hare had to have the same first names just to confuse everything let's okay we'll just call them burke and hare it's okay. fine um so hare and burke um are both irish immigrants in um edinburgh and so um hare um is the younger of the two and he owns a lodging house um, in uh, an area of the city that's known as the Westport. Um, so he owns a lodging house. Uh, both he and his buddy Burke are not really making that much money. So at one point, someone who's living in Hare's lodging house, um, a man named Donald, passes away. And he dies while still owing some of his rent. Oh. Um, and if we know anything about landlords, they'll do anything to get that precious mm. rent money. Uh, Including sell your body. Yes. So he goes to his friend Burke and he says, what am I going to do? I don't know how to get rid of this body. I, he still owes me money. I want to collect on my money. What should I do? And Burke thinks for a minute and he says, I think I got an idea. In no. in a little bit more of an eighteen twenties way, you know. I a, think a, I got, a, nope, yeah, that's nope, not the right. No, no, no. They're, no, they're no, Irish. No. They're not Southern. No, um, I, I I default to Southern. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in any case, so Burke Burke says, okay, I think I've got an idea. I've heard about people selling bodies to the doctors. So 
why don't we just do that? And Hare is on board with it. He's going to get his money. He doesn't really care how. So they, they, pack up, or they, they pack up the body and they leave it there for now. And they go to a part of the city that's called Surgeon Square. Um, and uh, they don't really know where they're going. They know they want to give it to a doctor, but they don't know how to find the surgeon that they're going to give it to. Mm. So they kind of just find a guy who's wandering around who looks like a student. <laughs> what? They're like, this are is, you I a swear student? To God, yeah, are they, you a student? They, they see a young man walking around, and they go up to him, and they're like, Hey, we want to go see... Uh, a guy named Alexander Monroe, and he was the chair of anatomy at um, this uh, at the University of Edinburgh, which was the big institution there. Um, and Monroe was a terrible anatomist and a terrible teacher, mm -hmm. and everybody in town knew it. So nobody really wanted to take anatomy classes from him, even though he was the official anatomy guy at the university. So they would go to private schools. So so they're asking, you know, what can I? Yes, sorry. So, no, so, like, so I, sorry, y'all, I missed a little bit, but I, am I hearing this right? Like, people would go to this one school, they'd pay the money to go to this one school, and then if this one guy turned up on their class, like, schedule, they'd be like, oh, shit, time to transfer. Well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't transfer yeah. as such. They would be, um, you just know, Just for this one class. We're gonna transfer yeah, just for this one class. It's like, man, I hear this professor sucks. Like, I've looked him up on Rate My Professor. He's yeah. garbage ratings. I'm gonna go to this private guy. So... The most popular by far was a guy named Robert Knox. And so when they ask this student, they say, we want to go see Monroe. And the student is like, why? Do you? You guys look kind of, uh, you know, seedy. What's, what's the deal? And they have no pretenses. They're just like, we've got a body for him. And the student is like, cool. Don't go to him. Go to this other guy. So he directs him to Robert Knox, and so they go to um, Knox's place, and they knock on his door, and his assistants answer, um, and they give fake names. But what baffles me about the fake names is that one of the fake names they give is John, <laughs> and the other one is William. <laughs> they're, they're, they are both actually named William, so I don't know why that was... It's William with a Y. Yes, it's, it's William, but with a spelling. Um, I don't know why that was the name they give, but it was. So, um, so, so they say, um, we've got a body for Robert Knox. Do you want it? And the, the assistants are like, absolutely. All right. You know, come back later and, and bring the body and, you know, Knox will look over it and, and give you some money. So they do. Um, they, they pack up the body and, and they bring it to the, um, anatomist doorstep. They bring it to Knox's doorstep and they lay it out for him, and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll take it. But, you know, it's fresh, it's not rotting. That's good enough in my book. Um, so, and he pays... No questions asked. No questions asked, absolutely not. Mm. Um, and, and he pays them seven pounds and ten shillings. Oh, my Which goodness. is equal to about 600 pounds in today's money. Hey. Uh, it is a lot of money. This is over a month's worth of wages for them. And they're thinking, okay, this, this is nice. I could get used to this. So th what happens next is, is a matter of a little debate because um, Burke gives one um, account of events and Hare gives another as far as 
who was the first person that they actually killed? Uh, spoiler alert. They start killing people, I feel like. We kind of all saw where this was yeah. going. So, um... Burke says that it was a man that they killed. Uh, his name was Joseph. Um, and Hare says that it was a young woman named Abigail. Um, so they have kind of conflicting um, versions of events. Um, but whatever happens, um, they do end up um, actually killing somebody. Why would so, they disagree about that? I, you know, memory is a weird thing. I don't know. Yeah, but- I, I'm not really sure, um, but uh, the version that makes a little more sense is Burke's version of events, where he says it was Joseph, um, because what he says is that um, this guy, another guy who lived in the lodging house, was sick, um, and they didn't want rumors getting out that there was a fever in their lodging house, and you know people weren't going to come in to stay. Because there was somebody sick there, so, oops, he's gonna die anyway, we're just gonna off him. What was the, I think it was the Milan approach to the bubonic plague? Yeah. Um, where they just, like, where, like, you have, like, Poland, where they're, like, very facetiously washing, and that cuts the bubonic plague away, and then you have, like, Milan in Italy, where they just, like, oh, you you had the plague, and they just burned you alive, and then... Yeah. And that was how they promoted the plague. <laughs> I, I guess it's the same logic here. They they were just, like, we don't want bad... <laughs> the catch was scandalized over there. <laughs> They actually burn people alive. I think so. I I don't know much about plague history, so I that, can't I can't comment much on that. That I'm like, is a I'm lot. Fifty five percent sure that that's like that's. I don't know about. Okay, this is a real things were different. times than I thought. Yeah, yeah. So um so yeah so that that is part of Burke's version of events is he's saying well this person was sick we didn't want rumors getting out that there was going to be a, a fever in the lodging house, and so we decided it would be better just to off him. Um, and so whatever happens, like I said, they do end up killing someone, and they end up uh, bringing the body to Knox again. Uh, and he's like, great, awesome, <laughs> love it. And he's, who is this dude? Yeah. Oh, I've got a whole rant on Knox. It's coming. It's coming. It'll come towards the end. The original Don't Ask, Don't Tell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. What? Original Don't Ask. What? <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Um, what? I mean, but but that really was kind of the policy of surgeons because yeah. why would, I, because they knew that the supply was going to be illegal. So... There really was no point in asking in their minds because it's like, well, the answer is going to be, dude, we robbed a grave for it. You pay us to rob graves. Why are you asking where it came from? Pretty Little Liars, medical edition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Knox's idea was that they're probably robbing graves. He didn't realize so, that. Yeah, so um, their justification was um, basically kind of saying, um, we kind of just found it. Because, <laughs> and they, they kind of had some concocted story of like, well, you know, we know some poor families in the area and we go to them and we say, we'll take care of the bodies and they're too poor to pay for funerals. And so they don't really ask questions about what we're going to do with the body. You know, they, they had this whole spiel and I will, I will, you know, go on record and say, I don't believe Knox. I he mm-hmm. he came out after all this and he was like, "Well, I, I didn't know. How was I supposed?" 
we'll get into it. Like, there's, there's, there's points where it's like, okay, you clearly from your conduct, you knew you were trying to cover it up, mm-hmm. and the murders, the murders, yeah. Okay. Um, so in any case, um, so. After their first murder, people start coming, the bodies start coming in with gunshot wounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I will explain, I will explain the way that they, um, killed them, because it's, it's very, um, I feel like it sounds like I'm condoning them if I say it's very clever, but I don't know what else to call it, because it was very, it was very difficult to detect. Okay. So what they would do, and this, um, actually became known as burking. Um, burking. <laughs> yes, yes, um. So, so no. they they would burke people. So, what burking is is um, they would um, basically pinch the mouth and nose shut, and they would force the head back, making it very difficult to breathe. And then one of them would quite literally just kind of lay on the victim, like put their whole body weight on them, so that their chest couldn't rise, oh. they couldn't get air in through their nose and mouth. And oh. this way, the victim suffocated, but it didn't leave marks. So, if you think about, you know, strangulation, it's going to leave bruising on the neck. People are going to know. So, this was a way... How did they get them to stay down long enough? I mean, like, I get that, like, the weight would make things more difficult, but, like, you think there'd still be, like, general bruising, like, around the wrists and stuff, where they're just like, no, get off. Yeah. Um, I mean, in in some cases, it suggested that that might have happened. Um, that one Mm -hmm. of the victims that we'll talk about, there was, it was like, yeah, that... They think there was some bruising. Yeah. Um, but um, one of the things they would do is they would get them flat out drunk first. Uh-huh. So there would still be some fighting back, but if someone is passed out drunk, uh, they're they're not really going to be in a position to yeah. to fight back in a way that's going to save their life. Plus, also, um, it's like it's not like in the movies that like it takes a long time to yeah. strangle somebody to the point where they're dead. It's not like it in the does. movies where it's like. Ah! Five, dead five seconds later. Yeah, yeah. It it, it does take a while. Yeah, breaking um, down tracheas. Actually, and it yeah. and it helped. It helps that there were two of them. You know, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't just one person trying to do this. So so typically you would have one of them covering the nose and mouth and forcing the head back, and then you would have one of them basically just sitting on the chest. So Pulling teamwork. You know. <laughs> so waiting for them to suffocate. Yeah, pulling up Netflix, you know, this is taking a while. Um, We're just going to lay back here. I'm just going to watch Avatar Last Airbender. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, after this first murder, um, they they start on basically a pattern. And what they will do is um, they would go out and they would find people that were usually down on their luck, people who might be homeless or, um, you know, people who were asking for money in the streets. Less likely to get noticed. Less likely to get noticed, exactly. Um, And they would coax them in with promises of charity, basically. They they would say, oh, you look so uncomfortable sitting out here in the, you know, cold Edinburgh rain. Why don't you come inside? Come and have a drink with us. You know, we're nice. We'll, We'll let you sit by the fire and have a dram of whiskey and and the people would go in and um you know they would ply them with drink um which was not hard to do in scotland in the 1820s um, one of them was a innkeeper he owned a lodging house a lodging yeah. house and what, what did the other so burke kind of did like odd jobs basically okay. he was kind of a laborer he worked as a cobbler he yeah how did they know each other uh, they're both Irish immigrants, um, okay. and um, I believe that um, 
uh, Burke first knew Hare's wife, um, okay. and then it was kind of just when when he arrived in Edinburgh. Hey, we know each other from the home country. You okay. know, we'll we'll um, pal around. Um, so they they get on this pattern of victims, like I said, and as as you pointed out, Asrin, um, they were people that wouldn't really go, uh, you know, noticed. Uh, they could disappear from the streets, and people wouldn't really think much about it. Um, so they, they get on this pattern, um, and I, we'd be here all night if I tried to talk about all of the victims, um, but there, there are two that I want to highlight just because there's usually a lot of kind of misconceptions in the stories, um, about these two victims. So the first one is a woman named Mary Patterson, um, and the sort of sensationalized story about it is that she was a sex worker, and, um, then there, there are stories that you hear about, Oh, she was laid out on the table in the class, and one of the students had been her lover and dramatically recognizes her and runs out into the street and informs the police and things like that. That didn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. She was um, someone who was lured in um, with one of her friends, Janet Brown. Um, and uh, again, she was lured in with the promise of drink, you know, come and hang out with us. Um, and... They got her flat out drunk, um, and Janet Brown actually managed to, um, uh, she didn't escape per se, she wasn't actually attacked, um, but she left before the attack happened. So she survived, um, and she uh, becomes one of the key witnesses later. Um, and so um, it is believed that um, Mary Patterson might have been a sex worker. Um, she seems to have been quite well known around Edinburgh. Um, and, um, when she is killed and she's brought in, um, one of the assistants does in fact recognize her. Ooh. So he does say, he's like, okay, I know her. Like she was alive very recently. Um, what's the deal here? Um, but finally someone's. Yeah, someone's kind of asking the real questions. Um, and so there's some unease where it's like, okay, this is a little bit weird. But then Knox comes in, and he's he's delighted. He's like, oh, what a lovely, fresh body. Um, and he actually he preserves the body for three weeks in spirits before dissecting her, which what? is... Got to go out and say it. It's a little bit creepy, Knox. Yeah, that's it's really a creepy. creepy. That's really creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. Um, so, so there is there is some sense at this point where it's kind of like, okay, something weird is probably happening here. So he straight but, up pickled her before dissection. Yeah, I he, think there may have been some. There, yeah, yeah. There may have been some activities that are not I no <laughs> I don't know that there were any activities but he did he um it is a little creepy how he's like oh, this is perfect specimen let me pickle her <laughs> <laughs> for like, three weeks okay for three weeks yes you know, three weeks like, um so uh yeah hey, so activities could be just, he was just like oh crap people are recognizing this one here we got Throw yeah. them off the trail. Yeah. It's uh, like, get her out of sight for three weeks. And, and well, actually, that is that is one of the arguments against him knowing, is people are like, well, clearly if he suspected that something was up, he wouldn't have, you know, been so bold about just, like, keeping her in a jar for three, for three weeks, weeks before. Like, he would try and get rid of the Hey, evidence. those activities now, might be just staring at her for I, three weeks. I don't know. I don't know. I am I'm now picturing her, like, straight up in a 
human sized pickle jar. Like uh, on the end I mean, the pretty car, much. Unfortunately, like, yes, like pretty in much. Alien movies. Yes. Um so so that is that is um one of the big high profile um victims that like I said, there's always a lot of kind of sensationalization and uh, you know, this idea of the young lover recognizing her and running to inform the cops. Nobody did that. They nope. kept on murdering, unfortunately, because does anybody ever go to the cops at the right time in stories like this? No. No, no. And if they do, the cops usually are not much help. Um, mm -mm. But in any case, uh, the other one that I want to talk about that, um, again, there's kind of some misconceptions, is um, one, uh, he's commonly known as Daft Jamie. Uh, his name was James Wilson. Um, That's an unfortunate nickname. It is an unfortunate <laughs> nickname because, yeah, he, he, he was um, disabled and he was was uh, kind of a common figure on the streets. Mm -hmm. He would walk around barefoot, and um, you know he was he was kind of very well known. And that's where they slip up in in um, choosing this guy. Um, so it was actually um, so I don't know I, if I mentioned this early on, but um, the wives were in on this as well. What? Um, yeah. Um, not surprised. Yeah, Helena McDougall and uh, Margaret Hare were both uh, completely in on this, unfortunately. Um, and uh, that was how they got some of the victims in, is because they would trust a woman a little bit more than a man. Um, uh, yeah. And so they would get them in, um, and then the men would murder them. Um, so Jamie is one that uh, Margaret Hare actually enticed in. Um, and this was not a smart move on her part because, as I said, he was he was very well known around the city. And not only was he very well known, he had physical deformities that would really mark him out. Mm. So, so they they killed this young man. Um, he, he was really quite young. He was in his um, early twenties, um, and and they kill him. Um, and they again, of course, bring the body to Knox, and again. Same assistant, his name is Ferguson, and Ferguson became a big name in the Edinburgh medical community after this, and I don't know why yeah. no one really talks about the fact that he was involved in all this, and it's a little bit, mm. Anyway, I, I have a lot of strong opinions on dead 19th century surgeons. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, in any case, um, so the same guy, Ferguson, um... He recognizes this guy, and he says, um, isn't that Jamie? And, again, um, you know, uh, Burke and Hare are just like, I don't know. I don't, we just got the body. I don't know. I don't know. How am I supposed to know the name? I don't know her. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> You're still every man here. What do you want? Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just bringing the bodies to you. I'm just doing my job, man. Do you yeah. want them or not? Yeah, do you want them or not? <laughs> do you want to speak to my supervisor? Yeah, I <laughs> using exchange where, uh, so one of the kind of middlemen for this, uh, was a guy named David Patterson, who was, um, basically the, the porter, um, of Knox's, um, anatomy school. And at one point, Burke said to him something of, like, uh, if you ask any questions, I'm gonna tell Knox that you're asking questions. And if he starts asking questions, I'm not gonna sell the bodies to him. 
So, so he, they kind of had this monopoly, and yeah. and that was a big thing in um, London as well with the people who were not murdering but were robbing graves. Um, they could set their prices, and if they didn't like what an anatomist was going to pay them, they would just say, I'm going to go across town and sell to your rival, and then all the students are going to go to your rival because he's got better... So anatomy why, teaching, so that's why better Knox supplies. Was, so that's why Knox off the hand was just like, yeah, 600 pounds. Yeah, yeah, so, so it was, uh, yeah, the, the price of bodies could get as high as 16 pounds in this era. It was, it was uh, Knox wild. could have easily gave them, like, two pounds. Oh, yeah, they probably would have been happy with that. Um, but in any case, um, so they recognize this guy. And again, Knox comes in, and he's like, nope. Nope, it's not this guy you think it is. No way. Nope. But this is where it gets a little suspect, because instead of pickling someone for three weeks, which seems a little bold if you know what is up, um, they pretty much try and get rid of the evidence as soon as possible. Um, so, um, this is totally not evidence of a crime. Exactly. Burn. Yeah, Burn. well, well, they're just like, okay... All right, we're we're one of the deformities he had was um, a deformity of the foot, and so they very quickly were like, okay, get get all the flesh off the bones. We're gonna preserve the bones, but like, just, we don't want this like obviously recognizable evidence in our anatomy school. So where was that assistant? Well, he was the one who was trying to get the flesh off the bones so that you couldn't <laughs> find them. He yeah, they he they were not equally as confused. Yeah, he's. Ferguson, man. Um, so, yeah, this this is quite suspect. This is why I'm kind of like, okay, really? You're going to try and tell me that you didn't know anything was up? You didn't suspect anything was up? Um, so, and again, this is where you get a lot of the um, kind of assumptions of, oh, somebody recognized Daft Jamie, and that's when they went to the police, and that's when it was discovered. Unfortunately not. Aye. Unfortunately, it continues. So, and I don't know why there are all these, uh, you know, focuses on the wrong um, thing that got them caught, because the murder that got them caught was committed on Halloween night. <laughs> and that isn't the best, you know, like, juicy nugget of the story. Yeah. I'm like, oh, come on, come on, you're gonna yeah. go with the story of, you know, the sex worker recognized by the lover and not... Halloween night. Come on. It's something out of... The murder uh, on All Hallows' Eve? Exactly. Yes, exactly. It could be a perfect Halloween horror thriller. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, when this uh, unfortunate murder is committed, I, I feel bad when I'm like, yeah, Halloween, and, then, <laughs> and somebody did lose their life. Um, so, so this murder that was committed um, was an... Uh, old woman whose name was Maggie Doherty, and she was actually from Ireland as well. So she ended up meeting Burke in a shop, and uh, you, you know they hear each other's accents, and then say, "Oh, you're from Ireland as well." Um, and and she says her name, um, and Burke goes, "Oh my God, what a coincidence! My name is Doherty too. We must be related or something. I think my mom knows your cousin. You know, all of this uh. stuff." And, and she... Do you have a mother, do you have a grandmother or a cousin or something that's named 
Mary. Yeah, Mary, <laughs> uh, Sally, Sarah, you know, just go through all the common names. Um, so so he, he gets her in that way, and she is actually out in the city looking for her son. And so he's like, oh, Wait, well, it's getting kind of late. Did they kill her they son? They did not kill her son. Um, to my knowledge, no, they did not kill her son. Um, but they're like, oh, come on, it's, it's, it's Halloween night, you know, we got the, the, um, All Hallows, uh, uh, I forget the name of the day, um, but there's a big festival tomorrow, and it's like, it's Halloween night, come on, you know, All you, you should, All Saints Day, that's, that's what I was looking for, um, you should come in with us, just have a good time, we're gonna party a little bit, and, um, you know, you can stay with us until you find your, uh, you know, you, in the morning, you can go out and look for your son. Actually, I think it's All Souls Day. All Saints Day, I think it's the next Yeah, day. one of the... I don't know. I, I think it's All Souls Day. I think it's All Souls Saints, one of the two. Um, so, so they, they entice her in, um, and, and they are having a raucous party, and um, they are, are drinking and dancing and, and all of this. Um, and at some point... Um, they there's a bit of a scuffle and the neighbor can kind of hear Burke and Hare fighting and they hear a woman shout murder and he's like that's a little strange and concerning um and he he goes out and he tries to find um some police but this is Halloween night everybody's having a good time he can't find any police because the you they're know. also having a good time. They're also having a good time, or they're trying to break up fights, you know, other places. Of other people having a good time. Yeah, exactly. So so he can't find anyone, and he comes back, um, and he, he goes, and he kind of knocks on the door and speaks to Burke, and he's like, hey, what's, uh, what's that whole shouting murder thing about? Uh, and Burke gives him the story. He's like, yeah, you know, my buddy Hare and I were having a fight, but... You know, and and we were kind of going at each other. We were drunk, and and I, you know, the the lady kind of thought that uh, you know we were we were getting more serious than we were, and so she was shouting for that reason. But it's all fine, you know. We made up. It's all fine. You'd go back to bed. So my buddy hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's yeah. See, I didn't kill him. It's fine. Um, don't look over in the corner where there definitely is a dead body. Um, so. The neighbor is like, okay, fine, whatever, I'm just gonna go to bed. So, the next day, um, uh, Burke has, uh, some people who are staying with him, actually. Um, so it's, uh, uh, Anne Gray and James Gray. And they notice that Burke is acting really weird. And he's being very cagey about the bed. He doesn't want to let anyone go near the bed. And one thing that they mention as well is that he was kind of sloshing whiskey around, specifically around the bed. Hmm. And he was kind of to trying... To hide the smell. Yeah, I guess it was to hide the smell. I don't... That That is all I can think of it for his logic. But he's kind of just drawing attention to himself. And his... Uh, M Helen McDougall isn't really his wife, but they've lived together as husband and wife for ten years, so it's easier to just say his wife. Yeah, common law marriage. So she's acting really weird as well, and she's she's really stressing the fact of like, oh yeah, that lady who was here last night, I threw her out because she was getting too handsy with my man. Like, yeah, I just she's kicked her 90. out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Nice attempt to put an alibi in. Yeah. Sex drive on this 90-year-old No, she was just uncontrollable, man. She just... Exactly, you know, she knew what she wanted. 
wanted. This was a really um, good establish. Like they're really trying to establish like the motive. Well, of the exactly, story. and it's like if if they had just answered the question of like, hey, where did that lady go from last night? If it was just like, yeah, she left to look for her son, that would have been a lot less suspicious than like this whole story about her getting handsy with Burke and I had to throw her out. It's so home records. Yeah, it's it's not great. Um, so this is the story that she gives. Um, and, and they're, you know, Anne and James are kind of like, what is going on? Like, obviously something is up. And, um, at some, and like I said, Burke was being really weird about the bed. He would not let them near the bed, even though they had some of their stuff near there. And they're like, we're just trying to get our stuff. And he's like, no, don't go near the bed. And they're like, okay, this is, something's up. So, at some point, Burke leaves to try and go and, um, you know, get the body delivered, basically. Um, and they have the chance to look under the bed. And, of course, they find the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and they immediately, they're like, okay, we're, we're going to the authorities. We need to get this, um, mm-hmm. you know, we need to tell someone about this. Ideally not stay in the house with the murderer. Yeah, that's <laughs> maybe not the smartest idea. And were there partners their wives in on it yes the wives okay. were in on it i think i think you had gotten up when i was when i yeah, mentioned yeah. that but yes they were in on it they would sometimes help lure people okay. in yep yep so you, you had mentioned that yep so um they get out of the house and they run into uh helen mcdougall who is burke's common law wife um and she's like where are you guys going <laughs> and they're like we That's... found your dead body upstairs. Oh my god. This um, is like exactly out of a horror film. Exactly. Can you imagine like and you're they, running. Yeah. And, like... and they they confront her and they were like, Why is there a dead body upstairs? Why does she have blood around her mouth? Like I we can tell that she didn't just pass away of a heart attack. We can tell something happened. And she breaks down. She's like, please don't tell on us. I didn't have a choice. She's got this whole sob story. And she says that she's going to pay them £10 a week if they don't inform on her. I don't know where she thought she was going to get that money. That's I don't know. I don't know if the plan was she was going to tell. That's more money than they're getting per course. Exactly. So my... A week? Yeah, a week. A week. So... Yeah, um, and, and... I think that's about what I'm earning at my job. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, of, it's, it's a it's decent a, amount of money. Presuming that, uh, pounds are the exact same thing as dollars. Well, so they're not, but, they're... Uh, <laughs> don't need to get into currency exchange. Yeah. Um, but in any case, so, uh, yeah, that, that is, um, the, uh, you know, she, she gives them the story of, like, I, I couldn't, you know, stop them, I, I had no choice, and, and they're not buying it, and... Uh, and they're frankly offended. They're like, we're not going to take money because you murdered someone. No, we're going to the authorities. And they keep going, and they run into Hare's wife as well. And, <laughs> and she's a little more sinister about things because she doesn't break down. She's just like, why don't, okay, why don't we just talk about this over drinks? And I think, oh so that's where I'm kind of thinking, okay, I think she was going to get Burke and Hare to come back and like, okay, they know about this, we got to get rid of them. But luckily they, they don't, you know, they, they don't fall for that and they're like, nope, Smart we're going to keep people. walking. We need more of that. Exactly. I don't know why they confront. 
front of the first wife, though. I, you know? I don't know. Like, I don't know. But like my leading thing while still on the property of murderers is not to be like, hey, you're murderers, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe just like, we're just going out for a walk for no specific reason. Turns out we have a baby at home. Really gotta get back to that. Exactly. So so they, uh, they go to the authorities and they, you know, let him know. Um, and by the time the authorities get back to the house, the body is actually gone. <laughs> but... They know what's up. They know what's up with the anatomist, and so they go around, and um, they finally get to Knox, and they say, look, have you have you had a, a body delivered today? Um, and the porter is there, and he, I mean, he can't really, he can't really lie. <laughs> the porter's He's just like walking like, out the door with the gurney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. A body? A body? It's like that scene from Young Frankenstein where he has to pretend that the arm is yeah his arm. Um, so so he has to show them and and um, the uh, the Greys have have come with them and they're like yeah that's that's the woman we saw this is yeah the jig is up. So they of course you know go after Burke and Hare, um, but the issue is that they don't really have a lot of physical. I mean they ha- they have the body but they can't. It's really difficult for them to, to really prove, um, you know, mm-hmm. that they killed them. Um, and as far as, and uh, so once word of this murder gets out, um, people in the town start to kind of put two and two together. They start, you know, Janet Brown is like, hey, yeah, I haven't heard from my friend Mary for a while. And the last time I saw her was with these guys, um, and then people, uh, bring up, you know, Jamie, they say, uh, he kind of went missing as well. And so there, a bunch of people start coming out and saying, we know someone who's missing. And the last time we knew of their whereabouts, they were near these guys or with these guys or, you know, things like that. So, so there's, there's mounting pressure from the public. Um, but all of the physical evidence of these bodies is gone already because they cut them up. Um, and you can't, you know, they don't, it's 1828. They don't have DNA testing, so they can't exactly, you know, take the bones and, you know, um, so they are kind of stuck. They're like, we don't know how we're going to get these guys and we might not be able to get them. So I mentioned earlier that Hare was younger. Um, he gives his age as 21 at this point. Wow, he's um, really young. He is really young. And they, so they started, um, their first murder was in um, the autumn of 1827. And when they're caught is November of 1828. So they've been doing this for a year. So he, he was even younger when he started. He was 19 or 20. Um, and uh, Burke was 36. So he was considerably older. So they, in the authorities' minds, they kind of think, okay, we can, it's easier to pin this on Burke. So they go to Hare and they say, listen, we, the women aren't cracking. They're not, they're not confessing to this. They're not giving us any information. Um, I tell them that. Yep. I know, I know. Well, but the thing is, Hare's a coward. (laughs) So they tell him, look, if you turn King's evidence and you testify against Burke, we're not going to nail you for this. You can get off scot-free. So he does it. <laughs> so he he's like, yes, please. Okay, that's fine. I will inform against this guy. So he goes to court and um, he is one of the witnesses. And so uh, he, um, Burke is actually only tried for um, one of the murders because um, 
they're like, we don't have evidence for all of the rest. And it comes out that, you know, throughout the trial, that he and Hare had killed 16 people by their own wow. admission by the time that they were caught. Wow. And this is by their own admission. This it's is not... by their own admission. Um, so they say, these these are the amount of people we've killed. And we, we actually don't have names for all of them. Some of them, they're just like, we didn't know their names, we got them off the street, um, and we killed them and sold them. Um, so not all of them have names. Um, but, um... It's so mind-blowing to think that. It is, it is. Oh and, and so, Hare testifies against Burke, um, and Burke is, um, eventually convicted, um, of the murder, um, and he is sentenced to, um, be hanged, um, for the murder. So, that sentence is, in fact, carried out, and if we go back to the start of the story, do we remember what happens to hanged murderers? <laughs> uh, yep, their body it, is given to you. Yes, you get a body. Exactly. So he, yes, go ahead. I'm dying. Does hair actually get away with it? Hair gets away with it. Yeah, and yeah. and to hair my women? yes, they they also get away with it. Um, so so this is like a little murder quadrangle. It thing. is. It like is. Only one of them actually got any. Yeah, kind of and um. And it is mind-boggling the amount of people who who did know that this was happening. Because even, like, Burke's brother knew that this was happening. And his brother's wife knew that this was happening. And, uh, you know, the the people that helped him deliver the bodies knew this was happening. Forget the quadrangle. This was just, like, a small, like, club. It was kind of, yeah, exactly. It's an octangle. Yeah, like, there were a lot of people, like, yeah. gang, like, no, octagon, yeah, they, and, and, yeah, there were a lot of people who looked the other way, um, so, so, Burke's body, um, funnily enough, is, is not given to Robert Knox, but it's given to the really I bad anatomist, <laughs> yeah, it's given to his rival, it's given to Monroe, the really bad anatomist, um, and, and he publicly dissects him. Um, and his, uh, so Burke, um, yeah, he undergoes this public dissection, um, and, uh, Hare, to my knowledge, I don't know that we have any solid evidence of what happened to him after this. It is believed that he went back to Ireland at some point, but we don't. He went back with a lot of money. Gotta be be uncomfortable to go back to those neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta be like. Yeah. Sorry about all the murder. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, and, and. Robert Knox, there is there is a lot of public outrage against him as well, understandably, and he, oh, he's just such a douche about it, um, because he he doesn't say anything for the longest time. He's just like, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not even going to deign to address this. Um, and finally, at some point he after he profited a lot, from yeah, those oh yes, absolutely, he did. And at some point, he. Um, he finally comes out with this letter because he's mad about something in the ruling, and um, he's like, he wants to set the record straight. But his I should have gotten that body. <laughs> no, that would be hilarious if he did that. Okay, um, but one of like um, he his way of addressing this is not to make any sort of apology or to acknowledge his role or to say maybe I should have looked into it. It's anyone in my position would have. Uh, the same thing would have happened to them, and, you know, it, 
he he has no remorse. He has no remorse for How these dare. 16 people that lost their lives. He doesn't bother to say, yeah, maybe I should have known. Um, because How dare you imply I should have standards. Exactly! <laughs> and it's, yeah, and and I guess he's, he's kind of relying on, yeah, all of us rely on illegally obtained bodies. Why would I have asked? But at the same time, from his behavior and... F- from the fact that some of his assistants were recognizing who these people were and knowing that there was something fishy and nobody said anything i he was he was supposedly one of the best anatomists of the era and you're telling me these same people show up with 16 fresh bodies that you can tell they haven't died from any sort of disease. They haven't, you know. And they're super fresh. They're super fresh. No they marks haven't been on buried. Them. They, it's, yeah. like, it's like, hey, this looks like this was like five hours old. Exactly, exactly. So I personally maybe a little controversial, but I I don't buy his his story that he didn't know anything. So so there you have it. That is the story of the. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, yeah, so um, if anyone is interested in further checking out the case, um, the full transcript of the trial is online on Gutenberg. You can access it for free. It's a very interesting read. Um, Lisa Rosner has written a book um, called The Anatomy Murders um, that was a, a really big help um, in kind of refreshing my mind on some of the details of the case. Um, so if anyone is interested um, in checking out her book, highly recommend it um, and highly recommend checking out the trial. Um, but uh, yeah, that that is the story of Burke and Hare. Hmm. Awesome. <laughs> that was quite the story. I- yes. I am a little mind blown by like <laughs> Yeah, it it really is mind blowing how, how long they got away with it. Yeah. I just feel like they weren't smart serial killers either. They no, really weren't. They really weren't. No. Is there such a thing as a smart serial killer? Where have we ever seen a smart serial killer on this podcast? I mean, there, there have been better ones than this. Yeah. I mean, there have been better ones. Like, they and get, also, like, think about it. The smart ones. Like, have either got, got away with it because of luck, or because they're super smart, or because everyone else around them is super stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's a little shocking how long it went along. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, in terms of time, it was only a year, but 16 people, come on. That's a, and, and especially with, as I said, the amount of people who saw something weird and just mm-hmm. didn't say anything about it. That's, yeah. I, yeah. I suppose, I suppose, you don't want to get yourself in trouble by trying to inform on them, but... <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and in terms of um, uh, dissection history, um, he was executed, Burke was executed in 1829, um, and the law was finally changed um, in 1832. Um, okay. So the Anatomy Act of 1832 finally kind of addressed some of these issues, um, and it provided uh, basically unclaimed bodies. So if someone died in a parish workhouse um, or a hospital and nobody came forward to claim the body, that body would go to the anatomist. Okay. So there's a whole other mess of issues there with uh, you know people arguing that um, this disproportionately affects the poor, this is not fair, um, this is not... Uh, you know, really a solution to the problem, um, but mm-hmm. at least it resulted in fewer grave robbings and murders, so the some small silver lining? Yeah. Yep. 
Well, right. thank you very much for telling us that story. Yes, yes. Thank, thank you, you for so having much. me. I, I yes. very much enjoyed it. Please come back for yes. another episode. Please. I will happily. I love talking about uh, you know the, these sorts of historical stories, and um, it may not always be murder, but I can certainly <laughs> talk a little bit more about the history of body snatching if anyone is interested in yes. that, because it's it is. Just it. Very interesting, and it does involve uh, booby traps on graves uh, with spring guns that were meant to shoot people who <laughs> would try to rob the grave. I so, will kill you if you try to take this dead body. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, very uh, ingenious. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to come on and talk about yes. the sort of anti-theft yes. measures, because there were some crazy ones. All right. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for being here, and to all our listeners... I hope you enjoyed. Yes. Please don't. Don't burk anyone. Don't burk anyone. Yeah, don't get any ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And drink water. Yes. (laughs) Stay healthy, stay safe, get some good rest and sleep. Don't burk anyone. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Um, so, yes, as soon as we, um, stopped recording the podcast, I mentioned that I would love to read, um, a poem that is, uh, related to this from the 1790s, um, and they immediately said we had to record it, so I guess this is going to be an extra little bonus. So, um, if you enjoy, uh, poetry, then, um, you can tune in for this. Um, so this is called The Surgeon's Warning, and it is by, uh, a poet whose name I've never really known how to pronounce. It's either Southey or Southey. Um, I'm going to go with Southey. Uh, so Robert Southey, uh, who, fun fact uh, that I did not know until recently, um, he wrote the original Goldilocks story. No shit. Which Whoa. is um, a very strong contrast to this poem that I'm about to read. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, so this is um, The Surgeon's Warning. So it's a little long, um, but I think it's quite funny. It's a satirical poem, so um, I hope you'll listen in. The doctor whispered to the nurse, and the surgeon knew what he said, and he grew pale at the doctor's tale, and trembled in his sick bed. Now fetch me, my brethren, and fetch them with speed, the surgeon affrighted said. The parson and the undertaker, let them hasten, or I shall be dead. The parson and the undertaker, they hastily came complying, and the surgeon's apprentices ran upstairs when they heard that their master was dying. The apprentices all they entered the room, by one, by two, by three. With a sly grin came Joseph in, first of the company. The surgeon swore as they entered his door, t'was fearful his oaths to hear. Now send these scoundrels to the devil, for God's sake, my brother and dear. He foamed at the mouth with the rage he felt, and he wrinkled his black eyebrow. That rascal Joe would be at me, I know, but zounds let him spare me now. Then out they sent the prentices, the fit it left him weak. He looked at his brothers with ghastly eyes and faintly struggled to speak. All kinds of carcasses I have cut up, and the judgment now must be. But brothers, I took care of you, so pray take care of me. I have made candles of infants fat, the sextons have been my slaves. I have bottled babes unborn and dried hearts and livers from rifled graves. And my apprentices now will surely come, and carve me bone from bone. And I, who have rifled the dead man's grave, shall never have rest in my own. Bury me in lead when I am dead, my brethren, I entreat. And see the coffin weighed, I beg, lest the plumber should be a cheat. 
and let it be soldered closely down, strong as strong can be, I implore, and put it in a patent coffin that I may rise no more. If they carry me off in the patent coffin, their labor will be in vain. Let the undertaker, uh, let the undertaker see it bought off the maker who lives by St. Martin's Lane. And bury me in my brother's church, for that will safer be. And I implore, lock the church door, and pray, take care of the key. And all night long let three stout men the vestry watch within. To each man give a gallon of beer and a keg of Holland's gin. Powder and ball and blunderbuss to save me if he can, and eke five guineas if he shoot a resurrection man. <laughs> and let them watch me for three weeks, my wretched corpse to save, for then I think that I may stink enough to rest in my grave. <laughs> <laughs> the surgeon laid him down in his bed, his eyes grew deadly dim. Short came his breath, and the struggle of death distorted every limb. They put him in lead when he was dead, and shrouded up so neat, and they the leaden coffin weigh, lest the plumber should be a cheat. They had it soldered closely down, and examined it o'er and o'er, and they put it in a patent coffin, that he may rise no more. For to carry him off in a patent coffin would they thought be but labor in vain. So the undertaker saw it, bought off the maker who lives by St. Martin's Lane. In his brother's church they buried him, that safer he might be. They locked the door, and would not trust the sexton with the key. And three men in the vestry watch, to save him if they can, and should he come there to shoot, they swear, a resurrection man. And the first night, by lantern light, through the churchyard as they went, a guinea of gold the sexton showed that Mr. Joseph sent. But conscience was tough, and it was not enough, and their honesty never swerved, and they bade him go with Mr. Joe to the devil as he deserved. So all night long by the vestry fire they quaffed their gin and ale, and they did drink, as you may think, and told full many a tale. The second night by lantern light, through the churchyard as they went, he whispered anew and showed them, too, that Mr. Joseph sent. The guineas were bright and attracted their sight, they looked so heavy and new, and their fingers itched as they were bewitched, and they knew not what to do. But they wavered not long, for conscience was strong, and they thought they might get more. And they refused the gold, but not so rudely as before. So all night long by the vestry fire they quaffed their gin and ale, and they did drink, as you may think, and told full many a tale. The third night, as by lanthorn light, through the churchyard they went. He bade them see and showed them three that Mr. Joseph sent. They looked askance with eager glance, the guineas they shone bright, for the sexton on the yellow gold let fall his lantern light. And he looked sly with his roguish eye and gave a well-timed wink, and they could not stand the sound in his hand, for, the, for he made the guineas chink. And conscience late that had such weight all in a moment fails, for well they knew that it was true, a dead man tells no tales. And they gave all their powder and ball, and took the gold so bright, and they drank their beer and made good cheer, till now it was midnight. Then, though the key of the church door was left with the parson his brother, it opened at the sexton's touch, because he had another. And in they go with that villain Joe to fetch the body by night, and all by the church looked dismally by his dark lantern light. 
They laid the pickaxes to the stone, and they moved them soon asunder. They shoveled away the hard-pressed clay, and came to the coffin under. They burst the patent coffin first, and they cut through the lead. And they laughed aloud when they saw the shroud, because they had got at the dead. And they allowed the sexton the shroud, and they put the coffin back. And nose and knees they then did squeeze the surgeon in a sack. The watchmen, as they passed along, full four yards off could smell, and a curse bestowed upon the load so disagreeable. So they carried the sack a pick a back, and they carved him bone from bone. But what became of the surgeon's soul was never to mortal known. So that is uh, a biting, biting satire by uh, Robert Southey there, the author of Goldilocks, but um, I find it quite amusing. really good. <laughs> yes. When I write my own true crime book, I am going to ask you to, like, record the audio version. Oh, thank you. I would you love to record the so audio well. version. Really thank good. you very much. Yes, it's one of my favorite poems, but um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to think much of surgeons. No. <laughs> so so there you go. If you know nothing else about Robert Southey other than his Goldilocks story, now now you know <laughs> another poem by him. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, All right. that was awesome. Thank you. Thank You're you. very welcome. All right, good night, everyone. 